Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Red Couch Podcast. And today alongside me is Constantinos and our guest is Shirley, Shirley Porter. Shirley Porter. Yes. Uh, the counselor for Fanshawe. So I'm uh, the coordinator for the counseling department at Fanshawe College. I'm also registered psychotherapist and social worker. Wow. So getting into that sort of like career path, what did you actually like kind of well, make you consider? I... Oh, um, so why did I do that? Just mm -hmm. because I've always been interested in psychology and change and helping people to um, heal and grow um, through difficult times. I've always had an interest in post-traumatic stress disorder and treating that, learning how to treat that effectively. So I did an undergrad in psychology four years at Western and then I did a two-year um, master's degree in counseling. Wow. Yeah. Wow, so you've been doing this for 30 years. 30 years. 25 at Fanshawe. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. So over the years, is it uh, just kind of like one-on-one -on -one sessions that you're Yes, most, yes. Individual counseling psychotherapy, yes. That's mostly what I've been doing. I've done groups over the years, but they don't seem to do really well in the college environment just because people are so busy with jobs and school and families and other responsibilities. Okay. And yeah. that is kind of just like the main role. Is there other sort of like... Oh, what I do in counseling? Yeah. Is, is, that there, what you like mean? A, is there other roles that you have to sort of... Yeah. So it's it's changed a lot over the past 10 years. We used to also do um, pre-admission counseling for anyone from the community or in the college who was looking at other programs to uh, help them to know what's needed to get into programs, the requirements, prerequisites to help them understand that. We used to also do career testing and helping people to make educated career decisions. Um, we do, so because mental health uh, has been such a growing concern in all post-secondary institutions across North, North America in the past probably 15 years, our focus has become much more narrow and we're doing predominantly uh, mental health related counseling. Hmm. So counseling and psychotherapy one-on-one -on -one, and also some crisis work or you know, same day service, we offer that as well. And like you were saying for almost 15 years now that uh, it's kind of been like growing yeah. so much. So I guess I'm just uh, a little curious on that side. Like what, uh, what was kind of like the initial spark that like people were kind of recognizing that, hey, we should be. Well, so there's, we so I've done um, two sabbaticals while I've been here at the college. And those were applied research product projects looking at mental health and post-secondary students and the types of issues they're bringing and how counseling helps with retention when people do get help. Um, and there is a significant correlation between coming to counseling and staying and being able to stay in school and be successful. But the literature across, across North America has been that showing that there's not only increased frequency of requests for um, mental health-based counseling, clinical counseling, but those, the requests are very complicated. Like they're not as simple as they might have been 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So people come in not just with one issue, but layers upon layers of issues often. And so it, it's more complex. It's um, sometimes higher risk. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to kind of unravel it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe interesting examples yeah. like an onion almost. Yes having yes. to kind of come in and unravel it all and 
And it, yeah, and it depends what the student wants to do. We're, we're in a very unique position being therapists at the college because if, you were, if I were in the community, I wouldn't know the systems and supports and resources available within the college. But because I'm here, I can be more practical in helping students with all of that, right? I can refer them to Fowler Kennedy if they need to, the registrars, financial aid, um, study skills. Like there's so many things I can help with. So part of it is what is pressing that the student needs to deal with at this point in time? Um, is there a life-threatening situation that we need to deal with first? Because um, we do suicide risk assessments and address that as, as one of the most serious issues we might have. Um, and then what do we have? We, we often do a piece of work to help them to be successful in what, what their goals are because education's a huge leveler for all of us. If a person comes from um, poverty, like I did, for example, and I was the first person and my um, family to go to university on both sides, um, it gives you opportunities to be independent, to make different choices in your life. Uh, lots opens up. So we want to support students in having this really important opportunity in their lives to create a life that's healthy and, and um, fulfilling for them. So sometimes because of time constraints, we only deal with certain issues. Like, you know, we don't, we don't peel the entire onion. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, yeah. We don't want to fully just unravel everything and then yes maybe just leave the person maybe feeling uncomfortable or, well or it's it's a it could it depends on you know how many layers there are there are lots of things we can do to help um because you know doing therapy can bring up some some uncomfortable feelings sometimes or other things and really your priority here is school and to be successful so we always have to balance that in our approach and in our interventions you know am i going to do this work with you right before midterm I don't know, maybe not. You know, there there might be times of the year when it's appropriate to do more to, more in-depth work if the students up for it. Um, but we're always, as, as counselors here, we are always looking through the lens of an academic year. And your primary goal is to be successful in school. And we are gonna help you to do what needs to be done to get there. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're in the month of June, this is also the month of uh, men's mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, you always see online or just in general, people encouraging men to open up about their feelings. And it's ha like, have you seen more men come forward uh, now than in the past? Yes. Yes. So um, my caseload generally, I I've looked at it a few times. Um, over the past few years, because I'm always curious, you know, do I have an equal number of, you know, males, females, that sort of thing. And it, it's pretty, pretty balanced over the past several years. I would have said back when I started 25 years ago, I saw quite a few more females than men, but I wouldn't say that's the case. You know, there might be a slight, you know, imbalance, but it's not the way it was before. Why do you feel that men struggle opening up about their feelings? Well, there are a lot of cultural um, beliefs and family beliefs around how men should be with emotions. I, I mean, a lot of the work I do with people is sorting out what they learned growing up from school, from media, from family, from 
religious institutions from important people in their lives about how do we deal with those difficult, uncomfortable emotions that are still valuable, like anger, sadness, um, you know, shame, all, all those things that can cause us to carry wound, a woundedness with us over years. Um, and for men, it's been more challenging. The expectations, the pressure has been harder to uh, come in and be vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, definitely that side of being vulnerable. I know myself, I felt like there was a lot of times growing up, uh, I always felt different from the crowd. Mm -hmm. I always, even especially in high school, I know I came from a different, like sort of high school that everyone was, it was kind of out in the middle of the country. So mm -hmm. everyone kind of was raised up to be going into some sort of trade mm -hmm. or to go into some like you're going to take over your father's farm or right. where, wherever you go into that. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was this geeky kid that loved to play video games. Mm -hmm. And I, I was that kind of odd one out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know trying to actually open up and be vulnerable to people and kind of just talk about just who I am and uh, just actually expose a little bit of my, my emotions. I saw so, so many people would just like look at me strange or mm -hmm. they'd be like well just be a man mm -hmm. just just mm -hmm. get over it or it, it's whatever mm -hmm. and i noticed throughout all that time i would just bottle it up mm -hmm. and i would just keep bottling it up and i would just keep putting it up onto a shelf mm -hmm. somewhere and bottle it mm -hmm. up um and i'm curious for that side how could that actually sort of put onto like a toll on someone's like mental it's, ex health. it's exhausting for any of us to have to bottle stuff up because you have to keep the lid on um or if you know if you're thinking my metaphor is usually a closet you're stuffing all this stuff in you have to put a lot of pressure at some point to keep that door closed and there's a point when the door won't close because there's just too much stuff there and one of the things i found is that when people come away to school or they're in a safer environment where they're kind of out of if they were in a difficult environment emotionally or physically or whatever before it's kind of like the mind and body say okay that's enough and the door opens and stuff starts trickling out and they're like what am i going to do with this right how do i deal with this and so that's when they come to counseling sometimes like i can't close that door anymore it's i'm so tired right and when we get that exhausted it can trigger symptoms that start to interfere with our ability to function. Mm -hmm. So stress um, can impact sleep. It can impact our ability to concentrate. We all have different vulnerab vulnerabilities. So for some, um, there might be physiological vulnerabilities when you're under stress. Some people get migraines. Some people get stomach aches. Some people will have emergent depression or anxiety. So it does, it can take a toll over time when we sort of go beyond what we can manage. It can open up other, um, other vulnerabilities can start to emerge physically, right? Physically, so like would that actually show like it may be an outrage, like in, in anger? Or? It could, it could. Physically, I'm often thinking of pain in the body that you just don't know why it's shown up or... Um, but yeah, people can just be so tired. Their, their window of what they're, they can tolerate becomes really narrow, um, because so much energy goes into shoving it back or 
bottling it up, right? Mm -hmm. So then when our when our window of tolerance gets really small, sort of that's the the width of what we can handle. Um, and we're on the edge. If we're on the edge of that window, those are those moments when you say to yourself or someone else, if one more thing happens, I'm going to lose it. Do you know those those moments we're on that edge and then we're outside of it? We're outside of our window, then we do lose it, right? We're more irritable. Yeah. Shut down maybe. Those too, kinds of things. Yeah, too much water in the cup or something. <laughs> it spills out. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of loop back to what you were saying earlier about uh, the touch of cultures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and stuff like that. I myself come from an Eastern European background. Mm -hmm. And being brought up in that in, in that culture, especially in like a second generation family, mm -hmm. um, the, the that idea of masculinity, masculinity mm -hmm. is ingrained in and becoming vulnerable is very frowned upon. Mm -hmm. So being raised in that culture has kind of made me stubborn to even mm -hmm. now, as much as I want to, not mm -hmm. come forth and talk about certain issues in my mental mm -hmm. health. In my mm -hmm. mental health. How could someone who is like myself in the same position from any culture kind of cope with that on their own, uh, on their own time? So how do you deal with that, with the vulnerability? It's courage comes not when we're not afraid. It 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 comes up when we're afraid. But we get to make a choice. Courage occurs when we choose to continue to go forward even if we're afraid. Do you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So even though something's uncomfortable and feels like this is the way I was raised, if there's something in you that says, but for my own well-being, I think I need to learn how to do this differently. And you try with a professional or a really good friend who has shown over time they can be trusted with little things so that you can let a little bit more in, you might become more comfortable with interacting with people at that level. Interesting. It's good to know. Mm -hmm. So even... Okay, I, I can see what you mean by interacting, sort of like seeing like almost like looking at things in a sort of a different eye. Yeah, so when we, I, I think of relationships as a, as a set of circles, right? There's a small one around us and then there's a bigger one and a bigger one. Mm -hmm. The third biggest circle is all our acquaintances, classmates, whatever. For people to start coming in, they need to earn your trust. Nobody should get automatic instant admission to your innermost circle and that's physically emotionally right or your deepest thoughts people have to earn your trust to let them come in and as we let there there probably only in life will be very few people that get to come in your closest most innermost circle those people who get to know you really well who know that you've learned you can trust with your vulnerabilities with your fears with the things you the mistakes you've made they won't judge you they'll be like supportive and they get it mm -hmm. so our interactions be can become a little more meaningful and um they have a depth to them when we let people into that innermost circle right yeah okay so it almost seems a bit like kind of like a mechanism to like actually help yourself out instead of just completely just like breaking down and just like letting kind of the whole mainframe go loose mm. out there. That's not safe. 
to do in lots of relationships, right? With classmates or a new friend. If you don't know who they are and what they're going to do with your most vulnerable information, you need to take some time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we grew up in families where there are poor boundaries between people, um, where, you know, physical, emotional boundaries are crossed, people are abusive, neglectful, whatever, we might not know how to set those boundaries and how to um, make decisions about when do we allow people to come closer. And so that's a lot of the work we do in counseling as, as well, right? Helping people to understand that to have compassion for why they struggle with this, and then to make informed choices about how they might want to do it differently going forward. Mm-hmm. And is there any differences that you see from even what happens on over social media? Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media can be a problem because there are often no boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And people just, they forget, So I think, they think they, they might be thinking of talking to a few people, close friends, but it's out there for everybody and anybody to see. And it can be used to hurt people, right? Like people sometimes are bullies and they will turn it around and they pick up on a vulnerability and they might use it against somebody in a public way. And that can be very devastating. Yeah, and also for me, I have to say like social media is a very dangerous field as well to even go and absorb because... It could also damage someone who's going through something mm-hmm. um, even more. For example, there's been a trend with, as of recent, with certain influencers trying to promote the toxic, it, the toxic masculinity yeah. lifestyle, and the way they're throwing it at people is demoting them and making them feel even worse. Mm-hmm. And I just think that social media as well plays like a negative effect on it. Does it does more damage than what it should? Well, we know studies have shown that increases, you know especially young people, um, anxiety levels and and a really warped perception yes. of what other people's lives are because you see a few pictures or videos from like a second or 10 seconds in a person's life. Well, they got to do 100 retakes and they got to plan this and they showed you the just the absolute best, but you don't know that they're you know, a parent's dying of cancer and they're struggling with depression. And, and and so there's this false narrative about what everybody else is living. And people go around thinking, I'm the only one that's, I must be the only one who's having a hard time or struggling with this. And, you know, I've had students come into my office and say, I don't know why everyone else is doing so much better than me. And I, you know, say this is November and I'd be, I'd be like, okay, how long did it take you to get in to see me for a counseling appointment? And they'll say, well, three weeks. I say, did you see all the doors up and down this hallway? That's because we're all full of people who are going through similar things as you, but we don't talk about it in line at Tim Hortons or between classes because we're very protected, right? We protect ourselves. So it's sometimes, and when my clients will start talking to a few trusted friends, they find out, Oh, they're going through something too, right? Yeah, they're not alone. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that is kind of the biggest thing to to remember is that we are not alone. Because especially, yeah, on social media, I, I, I know, I'll admit it myself, I, I might see this beautiful uh, person, a big influencer that, like, I, I see they're putting this great sort of show on her photo. or mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I wish I was there. I wish I was mm-hmm. doing that. 
and then all of a sudden it, it's kind of like you have to snap back to reality and be like oh it, it's not my life <laughs> like right and it probably isn't theirs either no, all the yeah, time right yeah. like they they put these illustrious things on on camera like oh you want this nice car this nice house mm -hmm. or this nice lifestyle you need to do everything you need to do all this in order to, to get it and it's they hold it in high regard and they force it upon you because you need to be a man you need to be the a b c mm -hmm. and d and it's mm -hmm. it's unrealistic mm -hmm. and i i know constant you and i were kind of having a bit of this conversation um uh, earlier about this that we were talking a lot about therapy mm -hmm. and going into therapy and you mm -hmm. were just mentioning as well just a lot of people are actually going mm -hmm. in and talking and you are not alone and i i know myself it, it took many years to actually take the step mm -hmm. to be like yeah th therapy is mm -hmm. something i should get into and mm -hmm. i know i i don't know what i would do without my therapist now mm. that that that's just like my take on it but i know right. constantly you and i were kind of having yeah, a, yeah i i said that for myself i don't really I'm not very open about my, mm -hmm. my, my issues. And there have been times where I have been, but I haven't gone to a therapist, but I have gone to um, a priest because I'm with mm -hmm. the Greek Orthodox faith and I've mm -hmm. sat down with priests and talked about certain issues that I go through and they kind of give me, I guess, a similar help that a therapist would, right. but a little different because yes. from a religious standpoint. But also as well as I find that what really helps me as well is just like doing a lot of different forms of meditation. Yes. And that is what kind of, you know, kind of helped me ease my issues or stuff that I have with my mental health. Mm -hmm. And it's helped been helpful, you know, kind of like how you found with therapy has helped, mm -hmm. kind of helped me in a way. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I'm curious though, Shirley, is looking at it and again, those like two different perspectives is mm -hmm. would you like recommend still like constant for example to go into therapy or is this you know what everybody finds their own way right we all are unique and even within therapy i've been trained in so many different approaches nobody comes in and gets the same exact approach because it has to be tailored to, tailored to the individual and for some therapy is you know life-changing life-saving whatever it may be and for some people they just that's not their thing and it's really up to each individual to decide or you know if they want to give it a try that's another thing right um if the, if you're going through a hard time and you're struggling you feel like nobody understands and kind of concerned about symptoms you're having or your inability to function in one more areas of your life probably a good thing to talk to a therapist to see if see if they can offer something that helps, you know, it's when we're lost and we're like, I just don't know what to do with this, right? Or this doesn't make sense to me. It can be helpful to talk to someone with that background who can help you make sense, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to kind of just test it out, test the waters mm -hmm. to see see how it is. I, I know myself, that's actually how I started off. It was my doctor keep telling mm -hmm. me hey, you should try therapy and mm -hmm. i know afterwards i was like yeah this makes a lot of sense now to actually right. try it out and i guess kind of just taken away from this since it is men's mental mm -hmm. health month um and if there is men out there that are kind of struggling on maybe considering on going to a therapist mm -hmm. what are some uh, some options that the audience can maybe hear from to 
to consider if, if they're having a, if they're struggling with mental health yes. so usually i would recommend that they um even if they come to see me and they're having concerns about mental health i would usually suggest they talk to the family doctor first if they have one um or here they get to go to health services if they don't have a family doctor because you want to do you want to understand what's going on so doctors can do blood work they can you know check thyroid is is there some underlying medical condition that can explain what the symptoms are that a person's seeing um and they can also see us and you know we we often will do a screening for depressive or anxiety symptoms if that's what people are dealing with to say um you know what level of symptoms are you reporting because there's certain options you have for treatment depending on how severe it is Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can talk to a counselor, talk to your doctor and make decisions going forward. Thank you, Shirley. This has been awesome. Thank you for anyone listening into this episode on the Red Couch podcast. You can watch the full episodes on our YouTube or you can catch them on our website where you can catch them all there or wherever you actually watch these on your playlists. And thanks for, for tuning in.